Well, good morning again to everyone, and I want to say welcome again, but now especially to those of you who are joining us from the traditional service. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad we can all be together learning from God's Word together as one church family. Speaking of which, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning or one on your phone or your tablet, but you'd like to be able to follow along with the readings this morning, our ushers are going to come up the aisles in both of our worship venues with Bibles in just a moment. Please feel free to borrow one from them. You can use it during the service today and then just put it on the shelf or the table in the back of the room after worship is over today. We're starting a new series today called Juggling is for Clowns, meant to address that feeling that a lot of us have in life that we're trying to juggle too many things at once. And when I think about juggling, it takes me back to the time that I learned to juggle, actually. When I was about 16 years old, probably, I was, one of the jobs I did when I was a high school student is I would go down to Cleveland Indians games. And when I was in high school, the Cleveland Indians were lucky when they won about 40 games a year. And so no one really wanted to watch the games. And the concession stands were a great place to be. One time I was there working at the concession stands and it was a long rain delay. One of those baseball rain delays where like it rains and they keep, but it looks like it's gonna let up so they don't cancel the game, it keeps going. And I was just back there behind the concession stand for hours standing with another guy and we were selling cokes and hot dogs and stuff and we had a long time and I don't really remember how it came up but he asked me if I wanted to learn how to juggle and we had this big like big bin of ice cubes in front of us like the ice cubes that go in your drink now none of you were there so I don't mind telling you that we were juggling the ice cubes that were going into the drinks of the people who were coming up but I washed my hands all the time while we were doing it really I did and so he said, take one of those ice cubes right there. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. And he said, now just toss it from one hand to the other like this. And you just got to go back and forth. Just toss this ice cube back and forth. You know, every eight or ten tosses, you got to put it down because the ice cube melted and your fingers are freezing. You got to get a new ice cube. So you just toss it back and forth. And he said, just, you got to do this like about a hundred times. Just toss it back and forth. Nice, consistent toss, same distance from your body, same height. When you're good at that, he said, then you can put in a second ice cube. And then it's just do the same thing, but with two balls, two cubes. Toss, toss, catch, catch. Toss, toss, catch, catch. Toss, toss, catch, catch. He said, do that about 500 times until you feel like you really got that down. Just nice, even tosses, same distance from your body all the time, over and over again. And once you can do that, you're practically juggling. Because juggling is just putting a third ball in and just don't stop in the middle. Don't do toss, toss, catch, catch. Do toss, toss, catch, catch, and over and just throw the third ball up. So you put the third ice cube in, you just start going, you just juggle those like that, and over and over again. You gotta do that for a long time. Thank you very much. I feel a little bit like a seal right now. I should bark or something, but thank you. The problem when juggling is you can go from one and you can get to two and you can get to three. That's not too hard. I can do four, but it's kind of boring because four is just doing this in two hands at the same time on each side. I don't think that's very cool. Maybe if you do four, it's really cool. I'm sorry. I always wanted to learn how to do five because five is just like this, but faster. But every time I've tried, I don't meet with a lot of success. Maybe I haven't been dedicated enough to it. I'm not all that dedicated to my juggling. But I've tried to get to five and I can't. It seems that my capacity is four. And every time, every time I try to juggle five, balls start falling all over the place. And that's okay when you're juggling because juggling balls are pretty tough. They're made for dropping. People drop juggling balls a lot. The problem is, is that I find that a lot of us do the very same things in our lives, right? We can handle one thing at a time, right? And I want you to notice this. When I have one ball in my hand, I can pay a lot of attention to that one ball. It goes back and forth, and it spends a lot of time resting in my hand. I've got pretty good control over this ball, and I'm practiced at it. I know what I'm doing. My mind is focused on one ball. With two, it's a little harder. The move from one to two is pretty hard, but it's not that bad. You can do it. It's only two. You get a break in between. You little mental rest, and so, you know, you just follow it. It's okay. When I put that third ball in there, do you notice how much how many more things I have to pay attention to? It's moving all the time. Each ball spends a lot less time in my hands. It gets a lot less of my attention. And when you get to five, 
you know, you've got to go faster and faster, and every toss has to be more and more perfect in less and less time, and mine just fall over the ground. Which, again, when you're juggling, not such a big deal. But when you're juggling the things of your life, it's a little bit more important. Because a lot of things in our life don't really survive being dropped all that often. Maybe they don't shatter, maybe they do, but at the very least, they take on cracks. They get damaged. And the problem isn't just that we drop the things that we're trying to juggle. In my view, the biggest problem is we have very little control over which balls we drop, right? And sometimes the balls that we drop are not the ones that bounce very well. Sometimes the balls that we drop are the most fragile. They're the most dangerous, and maybe they're the ones that we care about the most and have the least opportunity to recover from our dropping them. You know, in my life, I know that one of the big juggling challenges that I have is trying to juggle paying adequate attention to being a husband and a father and being invested in my family and juggling that with everything else that I am juggling in my life. And some parts of that are a little bit unique to being a pastor, but I think we all have things that are unique to the different things that God has called us to do in life. And I bet that you are facing some similar things in your life. Maybe the ball that you are likely to drop is that same thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's your relationship with your family and you're trying to juggle that and everything else at the same time. Maybe it's employment. Maybe you have a job and it's pretty demanding and the commute is hard and the hours are long and the demands are difficult and it's hard to keep all that in the air at the same time that you're trying to invest in other things in your life. Maybe it's financial strain for you. You're trying to juggle which bills you're going to pay or not pay this month. You're trying to secure a longer future for yourself, but you're not sure what you're doing. You're under a load of debt and you're trying to juggle all these things and it's pretty hard and stuff starts falling down. Maybe it's a health and fitness thing trying to keep in shape, trying to eat right, trying to exercise regularly. Maybe you have a health issue in your life that requires a lot of attention and regular medical attention, and that's really hard. And you're trying to juggle the demands of maintaining your physical health with everything else that you're doing. Maybe it's friends. Maybe you're thinking, you know, in my life, I just don't have many people that I'm invested in their life and they're invested in mine, people I share meaningful relationships with because I'm trying to fulfill so many other demands and juggle so many other things, and that's not happening in your life. Maybe it's hobbies. You know, I really love to be doing the things that I love to do, the things that I've learned to do and enjoyed over the years, but there's just not time for that. I juggle that and then I drop something else. Somewhere in the midst of all these things, you're trying to maintain a relationship with God. You're trying to carve out a little bit of quiet space in your mind or your heart or your schedule to listen to God, to be nourished by the Spirit of God, to cultivate a relationship with God in the way of Jesus Christ as a disciple of Jesus. And you're juggling all these balls. I can't keep five juggling balls in the air, and we got eight or nine or 10 or 15 or 100 things we're trying to juggle, and they fall to the ground, and we can't even pick which ones we're dropping. And there's nothing in our culture that's helping us with this. Everything around me asks me to juggle one more ball. Can you do this now? Can you do this now? And it's just throwing more balls at me, and I'm trying to keep them all up in the air. I bet you feel the same way. The way of our world is to try to do more and more with less and less. How can we just squeeze a little bit more out of life? But the problem is, is that each thing you're juggling spends less and less time in your hand. It has less and less of your attention, and you've got to toss it just right in less and less time, or the whole mess is going to come crashing down. And really, there's nothing in our world that's trying to help us with this. It's really just trying to make it worse. What I'd like to do today is to share with you some reflections from the passage that we read in both of our worship venues today from the Gospel of John chapter 15 from the words of Jesus. Because I think that the words of Jesus and the example of Jesus offer us a better vision for life than this. And I don't mean in a, in a self-helpy kind of way, in a tips for successful time management and using your day planner better kind of way. Those are good skills and you can find those someplace. But I mean a, a deeper and better and richer vision 
for a more fruitful life in relationship with God and one another. So let's begin by taking a look, a little more careful look at that passage that we all read together this morning. I want to review the opening verses of it with you from John chapter 15. If you have your Quest Bible with you, by the way, it's on page 1579, if that makes it easier for you to find. And I just want to reread the first four verses of this passage together and get a hold of some key concepts that Jesus was sharing with his disciples. This is what he said there in John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself and must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, I just want to stop there at those first four verses and recognize that there's, there's a few different dynamics. There's three or four different activities that Jesus has described in this illustration where he says, like, it's like, I'm the vine, Jesus says, and you're the branches that are plugged into the vine. And here are the activities or the dynamics of life as a branch on the vine. I have a little uh, diagram I want to share with you. We're going to put it up on the screens. A little semicircle here, and you can see that pendulum in the middle. This is a semicircle with a pendulum swinging through it. And starting over on the right side of that diagram, you see that there's growth growing and bearing fruit. This is what Jesus says in this passage is supposed to happen in our lives. He wants for us to have fruitful lives. God wants for us to have fruitful lives. There's growing and bearing fruit. But Jesus also acknowledges in this passage, there's probably going to be some pruning in your life. And in fact, we're going to talk more about pruning, especially next week. But pruning, Jesus says, is a God-driven process. My father is the gardener, and he prunes for the sake of more fruit. We all want there to be fruit in life, but sometimes there's got to be pruning in life for the sake of fruit. But the other thing way over on the left side of the diagram is abiding, or in the translation that we read today, remaining. This is the only thing in the passage that Jesus actually tells his followers to do. He never tells us to bear fruit, even though it's important. He wants us to bear fruit. He doesn't tell us to grow, or he doesn't tell us to prune ourselves. All those things I think are important. But the central command of this passage, the one thing that Jesus says to do, is to abide or remain. Stay with me, Jesus says. Abide in me. And then fruit bearing, then you will bear much fruit. I want to talk to you for a minute about this abiding in particular, this remaining, because it's a, it's a tricky word. It's, it's one of those words that every time a new Bible translation comes out, you know, there's lots of different English Bible translations. It seems like every time the, the translators or the translation committee of the next translation picks a new word for that action, whether it's abiding is kind of a more traditional, familiar translation, remaining is in the translation we usually use, and there are others also. It makes, it raises the question for me, if this is the one thing in this passage that Jesus actually told us to do for the sake of a fruitful life, what exactly is he talking about here? What, what, what concept is that? One thing that's really helpful as a Bible reader, and if, you, if and when you are reading the Bible, you can use this. One thing to do to help you understand a concept, if you wonder, what's this mean, what's this about? One thing that can often be helpful is read the stuff before and after. Kind of see what the context is. What is Jesus talking about? If you look back before this and see what Jesus was telling his disciples in John 14, in the passage right before this, in that chapter, Jesus is busy telling his disciples or he's preparing his disciples for what life will be like when he is no longer physically with them. You might say he's preparing them for a fruitful life when, he has been, when he's been crucified and he's gone from them. And so the first thing he does is in John 14, he offers them encouragement. He makes them a promise. He says, I will come back for you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I will come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, there you may also be. He makes them a promise. 
he also promises them his presence, the presence of his own spirit. He says, I'm gonna give you my Holy Spirit. So even though I'm not physically with you anymore, I will still really be with you. I will really spiritually be with you. He promises his presence, and he also gives them a charge. He says, now keep my words. Even when you don't see me here anymore, that doesn't mean you should forget what I've told you, the promises I've made you, the instructions I've given you, the commands I've given you, keep my words. He's preparing them for life in his physical absence. And then you skip ahead after this chapter and Jesus' journey toward the cross is really accelerating. He's getting into very difficult times and the disciples are getting into very difficult times. They're starting to wonder, is this thing that Jesus is doing really the right thing? One of the disciples really famously decides this is not the right thing. His name is Judas and he betrays Jesus. He sells him out. And Jesus, the Gospel of John tells us, knows this is coming. Other disciples are asking the same question. Should we give up on him? Is this the right thing? And in the middle of this, Jesus is saying, remain with me, abide in me. I think you could translate this as stick with me now. In the new Steve translation, I've decided this could be translated as don't poop out on me, okay? Stick with me now, remain in me. Maybe that wasn't very pious, I apologize for that. <laughs> stick with me now, Jesus remain in me. Why does he need to tell us that? Because we are so tempted to remain somewhere else, to go somewhere else. Jesus says at the very beginning of this passage, right in the first words that we read together, he says, I am the true vine. I think that's really important because the illustration doesn't require the word true. He could have just said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, stick with me. He went ahead and said, I'm the true vine. I think because Jesus knows that we're ready to plug ourselves into any old vine we could find. Because we're very tempted to believe that life comes from a lot of different places and we're very tempted to give up on thinking that life comes from Jesus. His first disciples sure faced that challenge as Jesus was on his way to the cross. I mean, they had to be thinking. We know they were thinking, is this really right? The guy that we signed up to follow, that we thought was appointed by God to bring salvation and blessing to our lives, is about to lose. And we thought we were backing a winner. And they were ready to give up on him, and some of them did. Maybe we don't face that temptation in the exact same way, but we do. We think, I don't know if the way of following Jesus is really the way of joy. I don't know if the instruction and the commands and the life that Jesus has modeled and taught is really the thing that's going to bring blessing and bring life and fruit into my life. You know, instead I actually think, and then we have all kinds of different things that we think will bring us life. You name your own temptation. Maybe for you, like for many of us here in this part of the world, in this day and age, it's wealth, it's money. If I could just have the right house, I've been dreaming about it, it's my dream house. I need this, I need that, I need the right car, I need the right clothes. When I have all those things, then I'm finally gonna feel alive. Then I will have made it, then I will be there. And if you feel that way, I have, we should all have every sympathy for one another in that because there are companies spending billions of marketing dollars to try to convince you to think that way. And they're smart, smart people who are good at what they do and trying to convince you that this will be what brings life. A lot of us believe that. Maybe for you, you think that if I'm really, really good at something, when I finally establish my talents and my level of success and I enjoy the respect and the esteem of others and they think I'm good, then I will feel alive. Other people will think I'm good and you depend on their opinions for your worth and for the feeling of life. A lot of us have done this for a long time. In the last 10, 20 years, a lot of us have transferred this pathology online, right? So now the more people comment on our Facebook posts and the more likes we get and the more Twitter follows we get, I know this doesn't apply to everybody, but the more this, this happens, the better we feel about ourselves. It makes us feel more alive. 
I think some of us think that the more stuff we're juggling, the more alive we are. Because if we can juggle three, and if we can go to five, and if we can juggle 15 things in our lives, you know what must be true about us? Man, we must be important, right? I mean, the world would fall apart if I weren't juggling all these things. I have not found that to be true. (laughs) There are a lot of balls that I have dropped in life, and somebody else has picked them up and done them better than me. I realize I'm not that important. It's not me that is my own source of life. A lot of us think that we are the vine and somebody else is the branches, or we are the branches on our own vine. I think I struggle with that temptation. I think a lot of us struggle with that temptation in a variety of subtle ways, but it's not true. Jesus came and he said to his first disciples, and the words are written down to be shared with us, I am the true vine. Stick with me so there can be fruit in your life. Right? God wants there to be fruit in our lives. Jesus wants our lives to be fruitful. I think all of us want our lives to be fruitful, and that's what's behind the, the eventually misguided pattern of us trying to squeeze more and more fruit out of our lives without ever doing any work of fertilizing and abiding and growing and pruning. We just want to bear fruit all the time. Jesus, I'm the true vine, and I want there to be fruit in your life, and God wants to be fruit in your life, but what you have to do to bear fruit in your life is not try to bear more fruit all the time. You have to abide in me. Remain in me, stay connected to me, stick with me now, don't give up, stay with me that there may be fruit in your life. Not only does this teaching of Jesus strike me as very reasonable and very promising and very hopeful, but honestly it's the very example of Jesus himself that gives me the most encouragement and that captures me so much here. Because I honestly can't think of another human being, another person who has put two feet on the face of this earth who has lived a more fruitful life than Jesus himself. I mean, in three years of public ministry, if it was even that long, changed the course of history, impacted more lives, influenced more trends, influenced more people than Jesus himself. And yet, I have read the life stories of Jesus over and over again. I can't remember noticing that he was ever in a hurry. I don't think Jesus juggled. And yet, oh man, the fruit that his life bore. Now, I know he was the divine son of God, and you and I are not. But he did, nevertheless, invite us to follow his example. And I am invited, and you are invited, to listen as he teaches here. Abide in me. Remain in me. Now, I want to give you just some practical suggestions or questions for how to apply this teaching from Jesus in our lives. If you have your worship bulletin with you, and in traditional and contemporary both, would you please take out your worship bulletin and pull out the community group study guide that's right there in the middle. On the very front of the community group study guide, we put a little tool there for you. There's a big box there that says abide, and inside that box is a little box that says rest. I would like to ask you to begin to consider today, during this time right now, during this worship service, as we all share the Lord's Supper together later throughout your day, what needs to go in your abide box? Or what what belongs in your abide box? What are the things that help you remain, stay rooted in, stay connected to Jesus? I think for as many people as there are here this morning, there could be that many different mixes of things that belong in that box. But I have some guesses as to some things that belong probably in all of our boxes. I think probably in all of our boxes, there is some sort of devotional component. There's some sort of tool in there. And I was actually gonna bring a toolbox up here to stand for that box, but about a month ago, I told Pastor Angie I was gonna do that, and she said, toolboxes just mean more work. Are you trying to have them juggle more balls? And so since Pastor Angie's smarter than I am about these things, I decided to leave it off. If any of you are as messed up as I am and a toolbox would help you, imagine a toolbox right here, okay? What are the things that help you accomplish or that help you feel abiding, that help you remain connected to the vine? There may be a devotional component. There's some level of reading the Bible, 
reading other Christian literature that helps lead you to the Bible, to the stories of Jesus, a prayer life, something that helps you develop a pattern of prayer. You know, inside our community group study guide, there on the inside, there's always a daily reading guide that any individual could use as part of your individual daily reading. If you're looking for a place to start in Bible reading, I always just say, just read the Gospel of Luke if you don't have any place to start. You really can't go wrong, but I love starting there. There's probably a devotional component in there. I bet there's gonna be a rest component. And that's why I went ahead and put that rest box inside there. I think a lot of us don't do a lot of resting. There's not a lot of breath in our lives. And I was thinking about this, when I juggle, if I just keep doing this all the time, I can do it for a long time. These balls aren't very heavy. But eventually, my arms start to get tired and they start to burn. And eventually, I'm gonna start to lose a little bit of control and I'm gonna start dropping stuff. We don't wanna drop that many things in life. The things that actually matter to us, right? There's gonna have to be some cycles of rest built into your life. The other thing that I want to acknowledge, oh, the other thing that probably that might need to be in your abide box, and I found this to be true in my life, and it might seem a little strange because there needs to be a rest box, but sometimes I have noticed the best abiding, the best remaining, the, the best growth in staying connected to the vine in my life happens actually when the challenge level in my life goes up. Not in an overloaded, frenetic, over-busy, frantic kind of way, but in the way that goes, wow, that is more than I can handle. That challenge is above me. That challenge is beyond my capacity. And probably, probably more than anything else that ever happens in my life, that drives me to my knees. That creates in me a reality and awareness that, oh, I need to stay in the vine, or I'm gonna crash and burn on this one. Maybe God's calling you to obedience of some kind, to some sort of challenge outside of yourself that feels beyond your comfort zone, that feels beyond your abilities. And saying yes to that, being obedient to that calling in your life, that's going to weigh up the abiding in your life. Now, a couple more just practical uh, realizations here. One is you can't just always add stuff to your life. Like I'm talking about what goes in your abide box. How are you going to do this and this and this? And it might feel like I'm just saying juggle more stuff. There does probably need to be some pruning in life, probably for all of us. And we're going to focus on that next week. But I just want to acknowledge that right now. That's part of the learning process here. The other thing that's been helpful for me to realize in a practical way is that, you know that, that semicircle there had a pendulum in it? And that's meant to say the pendulum swings sometimes. You're in a season of abiding. You're in a season of growing and bearing fruit. You're passing through a time of pruning. Sometimes those seasons in life, in a kind of a rhythm of light, might be longer seasons. Maybe you're in a period right now of some weeks, some months. I don't know. It's kind of a season where you're needing to just really focus on abiding. Maybe, you've, maybe you feel strong and refreshed and is ready for a season of some especially high fruit bearing in your life. That can happen in longer seasons. But I think that to press the metaphor a little bit, sometimes there are seasons within seasons. I think that's just realistic in our lives. I mean, I need to have both abiding and fruit bearing rhythms in my life every day. Uh, my days, I just need to be connected to God in some quiet space in my life and some Bible reading and prayer and reflecting and listening on a daily basis. And there's times in my life for being fruitful every day. But there also are times when I just need to stretch out that abiding time a little bit into longer periods. And one thing that I try to do, not always very successfully, but I, I try to get away from the office from time to time. Well, not for vacations is a good time for some rest, but also to just kind of get away from the office to do some praying, planning, listening, reflecting, thinking, especially for worship and teaching series and things like that. And that can be fruitful time but it's all driven out of a season of abiding and listening. So I think sometimes there are longer seasons and sometimes there are kind of mini seasons within those seasons. Mostly, I wanna ask you, what do you think is in your abide box? What needs to go in there? What are the things that maybe go inside your rest box that genuinely help provide energy and refreshment into your life? 
And how are those things gonna begin to happen in your life? I wanna finish by just telling you one story about probably kind of the defining experience of this for me that uh, my mind went back to as I was preparing for this series. And it happened a long time ago now as I was a college student and was part of the leadership team in our Christian fellowship, our Christian ministry on campus back at the College of Worcester, and we called it Worcester Christian Fellowship. And after the end of my sophomore year, I'm pretty sure it was, our leadership group, and actually a bunch of us, went away for kind of a week-long retreat before we all went back to our summer jobs and went to a place called Cedar Campus in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan for about a week's retreat time. Our leadership team was together every day on that retreat. We had planning sessions. We were trying to get stuff ready for the coming year of ministry together. And we had high hopes for that time. And yet, it really didn't go that well. It was a hard time for us. We found that we got into some conflicted relationships with one another. We were kind of sideways with each other. We were conflicted instead of collaborating. We were hopeful about that time, but as we began to run into our conflicts, we felt discouragement instead of joy and hope, and it was really a pretty deflating time. And we were, you know, a couple days halfway into the week and had a lot of this left to go. And then there were other people who were at this camp at the same time that our group was up there, and in the evenings, there was always kind of some worship time, a worship service for everybody together. And I remember being there maybe a Tuesday, Wednesday evening, something like that, and, and during worship, for some reason, a verse came back to my mind, a Bible verse that I had learned years before. I don't even know when, and I, I think God brought it back to my mind in that time, and at that time, I had to look it up and find it. I didn't know where it was, but it's become important to me, and now I know exactly where it is. It's Psalm 127, verse 1, and that verse says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. You build all you want, but unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. I was really convicted by that verse as we were worshiping that night because that probably identifies my temptation. Build, build, build. Work harder, work harder, work harder. And I think that's what we were trying to do. We were all trying to pour our energy in. We had a lot of passion around this. We were all very committed. But at least for myself, I was thinking, you know, I'm trying to build my own thing here. I don't think I'm really depending on God's guidance in this. I don't think I'm depending on God's power. And so after that worship service, I remember I called together our little leadership group and I had recently been elected the president of this and I, you know, my leadership had been useless up to this point. I was doing a terrible job. And I called us all together and I, I shared with them the experience I had in worship and how much this verse was on my heart at that time and I apologized to them for my failures of leadership as I was trying to just do it all myself. And we apologized to each other and repented of what we were doing and we prayed together and I think the Lord began a season of renewal in us because of that truth, because when we remain connected to the vine, when the Lord does the building, then we can contribute our labors to that and we can grow and be fruitful. And in that, in that season, in that time right there, collaboration began to replace conflict and hope and joy began to re replace discouragement and deflation that we were experiencing. But it wasn't even just an internal thing for how we felt. I think it genuinely made a difference in the fruit that we bore and the building that we built. I think we began to make quality plans and build relationships together and began to do some things that really impacted the little worlds that we were inhabiting at that time. Because of the truth of what Jesus said, remain in me, abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. I just wanna to close today by asking you to reflect on that question. And whether it's here as we close in prayer throughout this service, the rest of the day, tomorrow, to take a look at that box that's on that study guide right there and just think, what are the things that, that help me stay connected to Jesus? What are the things that help me get some rest so that fruit can be born in my life? We're gonna continue talking next week about some other facets of this passage, but we gotta begin here in the most important place with roots in the vine. Let's pray together. Good and gracious God, thank you so much 
for the gift of your presence with us. For here we are in your physical absence and Jesus prepared his first disciples for this and, and we're still here. And you've promised us salvation, you've promised to come back and take us to be with you and you've promised us your very own presence, that you're still here with us. God, I pray that you would teach us to turn to you, that you would connect us to you, teach us to keep your word, to trust your promises, to walk in your way. We want to live fruitful lives. You want there to be fruit in our lives. And we submit to your work in our lives and ask you to grow fruit on these branches. We live and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.